The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Maureen, are, are you comfortable talking about sex? No. <laughs> well, no, I, I used to, but now I talk about food the way that I talked about sex. Like, do you know what we tried the other night? <laughs> we had Korean dumplings, and they're they're called mandu, and they are out of this world. Can I tell you where to get them if you're interested? Well, yeah, I really like Korean dumplings, but I think you're avoiding the main subject here. Oh, yeah, I am. I went to boarding school. I went to a convent boarding school, and the sex ed we had came from nuns. <laughs> and they told us where babies came from, the Heavenly Father, which was really confusing and disgusting. So that was really my sex ed. What about you? Well, it was really different. So my mom was, she didn't want to be called a hippie. She was the same age as Sue, basically. But she kind of was one. And so at age eight, up at my grandparents' cottage, in the middle of nowhere, she sat me out on the edge of the dock. It was beautiful. The, the moon was full. And I was eight years old. And she told me all the facts of life. And I was, it was beautiful. I was so, so honored. So when Kate, our daughter, turned eight, I told her all of the facts of life. And she was like, Mom! Please stop. Stop. No, no, no. This can't be true. It was a little different. Eight is young. And today, I don't know what happens today. Well, the sex ed curriculum is pretty cut and dried from what I recall from my kids in grade eight or thereabouts. Kids learned about abstinence and contraception and gender identity and consent, but there isn't a lot about pleasure. You mean like the fun stuff? Theoretically. <laughs> So it, it makes you realize that back in the 1980s, Sue Johansson was amazing. Yeah. So she did this show, the Sunday Night Sex Show. She started on radio, Q107. That's right. She was a health nurse. She was a teacher. She was a therapist. She spoke at schools across the country. And someone had this brilliant idea to offer her a nighttime talk show where people, a lot of them young people, not just, but young people, they would call in. Some of them, you know, they would talk about cock rings and dildos and all that stuff. It was astonishing and nothing phased her. And she was completely understanding and down to earth and she didn't shy away from any topic. Same sex relationships, sex toys, BDSM, anything went as long as nobody got hurt or frightened the horses. I think that was probably her philosophy. Yeah, well, horses. I don't know if there was any questions about it. <laughs> well, as long as, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and part of it was that she looked like a little old lady. She looked like a grandma. Some might say she looked like a maiden aunt. Although, why are there no maiden uncles? That's no, no, they're bachelor uncles, and that's a whole other topic. Yeah, but no one talks about it. Well, maybe they do. Anyway. Sex with Sue went on to become a television show, and then about 20 years ago, when Sue was in her 70s, it was picked up by the Oxygen Network in the States, and Sue became a star there as well. So she's 92. She's retired now, but she's the subject of this wonderful documentary just out. It's directed by Lisa Rideout. We're going to talk to her and to Sue's daughter, Jane Johansson, and both of them are here on our podcast. You know what, you guys, you go ahead. I'm just going to talk about Korean dumplings. You know, I'll be over here. <laughs> Korean what? They're called mandu. They're delicious. You should try them. So Wendy and I saw the documentary this week. And first of all, it is wonderful. It is so entertaining. Everyone that I know who has seen it, male, female, it makes you feel nostalgic if you grew up in Toronto around the time of Sex with Sue. But it also is such an amazing glimpse into a phenomenal woman. So let's start with you, Jane. 
First of all, your mom never sat you down on the dock in moonlight and told you the facts of life, did she? No. And if she did, I would have jumped in the canoe and paddled away as fast as I could or dove in the lake and said, I would have covered my ears. I did not want to hear about sex from my mom. And I don't know if I, I think a lot of kids really don't. And so you were very lucky to have that experience, Wendy. I think that's extraordinary. And I wish more parents could be able to do that with their kids. But yeah, it was age eight. When I got older and she wanted to talk about sex, I was like, do not talk about those things with me. Like, please. When I was eight and I was just learning stuff and it was cool, that was different. But it was really interesting hearing about how your mom was raised by her mother's sister and didn't feel really loved. But you and your mom, I mean, this was your idea. You, you must have been really tight with your mom. We're going to get to Lisa in just a sec. But Jane, tell me why, why you did this. Why I did the documentary, I think I realized that as I got older, I got less kind of squeamish about the whole sex topic, obviously, because I grew up with mom along the way and her journey through that. So I just got so comfortable with seeing my mom, you know, on TV, hearing her on the radio, and I realized I just didn't want her to be forgotten. And I also wanted to honor her in a way because I'm so proud of what she did. Getting the documentary made, I realized how loved she was. And it just became very apparent that it was perfect timing while she was still alive during this time of sexual education upheaval and whatnot. And I think I just wanted to take this time, really, and also before anybody else did. I thought, I'm the one that knows her best. I've got all this material, photos and, you know, videos and DVDs and stuff. And I thought, I've got to get on this. So once I got going and I found my brilliant documentary filmmaker, Lisa Rideout, that was it. Now, it took five to six years, you know. You don't just do it in six months. It's a, it's a long journey. But it was really a loving tribute to a woman who was so loved. Why did you go to Lisa? Or Lisa, how did you come to Jane? <laughs> we describe it as the universe brought us together. But the actual story is, well, I grew up with Sue. I grew up with a Sunday night sex show as my only form of meaningful sex education. So I went to Catholic school. I basically was learning, don't do it. <laughs> and so she was always just, you know, in the back of my head, she was there. And I had seen on Facebook, there's a clip of the cast of Sex Education watching the Sunday Night Sex Show and just reacting, laughing, thinking it's amazing. And I just thought, huh, did anyone make a documentary about Sue? I kind of thought maybe they had. So I Googled her. I found her website and an info at you know, info at sex with Sue, sent an email just saying, I love Sue. I grew up with her. I'd love to make a documentary. A fun side fact is that my mom's a nurse and she went to nursing school at the same place that Sue did. In, Win in Winnipeg? Mm -hmm. Which feels a bit random. So I just thought that, you know, is a connection that we have. And I got an ominous email back that just, I think it was a one line and it said, someone's making a documentary already. Maybe they'll get in touch. And I thought, no one, no one's ever going to get in touch with me. But that was Sue's longtime director of the Sunday Night Sex Show, Randy. And eventually he put Jane and I together. Jane was looking for a director. You know, I felt connected to the project. We met for coffee and that was that. You must have watched, I don't know, how many shows did you watch? Because the documentary, there are, there's so many cuts and you think, okay, I've seen enough. No, 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 this is great. Like, what stuck with you? How much did you watch hours and hours and days and weeks with? hours and hours and hours of the show. And I was quite young when the Sunday night sex show was on. So, you know, I was struck by how, number one, when we started to watch it, how did Sue get away with this on TV? Because I think 
I'm so used to now social media, all the comments that are put on every single thing that we do. So just seeing how radical she was in her approach, open and honest, was incredible. But yes, we watched hours and hours and hours. The hardest part of this film was what we had to leave out as well. (laughs) Because those calls, you know, they... They ranged, they were all over the place, but there were just incredible calls and information. I thought I was pretty comfortable with sex. And then you watch Hours of Sue Johansson, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm pretty squeamish. So, Jane, was there ever anything that phased her? I mean, the questions were startling and astonishing and often hilarious, but sometimes like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) you shouldn't do that. Was there ever, to your knowledge, anything that your mom went, oh, oh, I don't think I can go there? Honestly, I think that, that was one of her strengths was that people were almost phoning in, sometimes intentionally, to see if they could just see if they could pop a reaction from her. And it wasn't like she had steely reserve, but boy, she was so comfortable and composed. And she knew. She could tell if people were trying to really, like, really, you want to ask that? Okay, well, here we go. And so if she took them honestly, then people, she kind of pulled the air out of it or, you know, pulled the rug out from underneath them a little bit about that. So I don't think in my, all my years of watching or listening that she ever was absolutely stumped, unless it was something that it involved some kind of medical condition. And then she would be perfectly frank and say, I'm sorry, I need to do some research on this. Let me, and she'd of course write it down and then she'd get back to them and, and the next episode would make sure that there was clarity on something that she didn't know. And so she would do the research or she would find out someone who could, this person could then phone and talk to about it if it was something that she, it was beyond her ability. She was remarkable for so many reasons, but she dealt with same sex. She dealt with all sorts of BDSM. Stuff I, you know, as Lisa said, I learned more from that than I think I did from anything else. And so accepting and so unquestioning back then. And, you know, that is part of her legacy. She made outsiders feel inside, literally. Yes. But I think my mom was really smart about it, too, because as the world changed and as people changed and as our sex and sexuality changes and as we're getting into people who are transgendering and you know, sex is becoming a very different thing than when she was younger. And I think she realized, she started to back away when she realized this is an area of expertise that I'm not really good at. And as she got older, she thought, I need to pass the torch. And so because there were things that she knew she wasn't able to keep up with, and to be really on top of and be able to clearly answer those questions about, you know, sexual identity and stuff. So That's why I think it was great that Lisa covered the passing of the torch to women who are becoming sex educators themselves. So this is maybe cheesy, Lisa, but I loved the old pictures from the 70s that you found of Don Mills Collegiate, like (laughs) such bad hair. They all had such, I mean, I must have too, because I was in high school in the late 70s. But yeah, everybody was having sex in spite of the bad hair, but nobody ever talked about it. So it's just, I mean, it's such, I don't know, I guess it's such a different time and such different issues now. And so it was a big secret back then. People didn't talk about it, but everybody was doing it. So now people are talking about it, but where are we now? (laughs) I mean, it's so hard to now remember a time where there was no internet. And I think we had to put ourselves back in that mindset because you couldn't just Google, you know, I don't know how to give a blowjob or whatever, whatever you needed to learn, you couldn't do that. And so we really were at the mercy of our teachers, which were doing a terrible job at that point, 
or you were learning through porn or through your friends, you know? So there were so few resources and that's what made Sue so incredible and why we needed her so much. But yeah, just even remembering a time where you turned on the TV at a specific time on Sunday, you watched Sue. If you missed her, you missed her. You couldn't PVR anything. Yeah, it, it was very different. And I think that's what made her so important during that time. Yeah, I remember the birth control pill because she handed out the birth control pill and and other things to prevent pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies when you're 17, 18, 19, all, all of that. And I remember in the late 70s, I mean, it's sort of taken for granted now that there's more than just condoms for people, but it was a huge deal. And Jane, you were a receptionist, I think, at the clinic, right? Yes, I was a receptionist. I was 13 or 14 at the time. My sister and I both, we would rotate off. She would come in or I would come in depending on who was available. And, you know, in the beginnings of it all, we we all worked for free, which we were happy to do so. I think what surprised me was then being on the other side of the desk and then having friends come in or acquaintances or people I went to school with or took ballet classes with. I would see them walk in and want to, you know, come to a birth control clinic. And I think it quite shocked me because I thought, oh my God, you're having sex. (laughs) (laughs) But the nice thing about it was both of our eyes, we would, you know, they would be popping out and we'd be looking at each other. But I just gave them that sense that I would avert my gaze, go down to the desk and then immediately get, you know, business at hand. This is the form you need to fill out. You're going to be speaking to, you know, a counselor or social worker. You're going to be seeing a doctor if you need to, you know, have a pap test or if there's another concern that you have, and then we'll, we'll take care of your needs. And as soon as they sensed that there was privacy, that there was going to be a sense of comfort and ease, and that I wasn't going to blow the whistle. And then when I saw them in school, it was, zoop. it was a uh, private and there was confidentiality there, which I really think that was appreciated by the kids. And then the numbers just kept increasing, increasing because of that, I think too. <laughs> Hey there. Uh, just so you know, Mo and I are not just the queens of podcasting. I'm not sure we're even that, but do go on. We're not part-time cowgirls. We just made that up. But we are writers. We're writers. Wendy and I write a newsletter on Substack. It's a weekly roundup of thoughts and experiences, sometimes serious, often not. Yeah, you're pretty funny. You you write about falling down a lot. Uh, you write about your dog. I do. You write about sex and politics and COVID. All very, very serious things. We have a few thousand subscribers, both free and paid. And you could be one of them if you'd like. Just go to substack.com and look us up by name or go to our website at womenofillrepute.com and sign up there. We'd love to meet you there. And now back to being the queens of podcasting. Yeah, sure. (laughs) The women of ill repute. Jane, you went on to become an actor, a dancer, um, choreographer. Triple threat. Triple threat. And I don't think that's uh, a stretch coming from where you did because your mother was a performer. I think the apple fell really close to the tree there. I would hate to say my mom can't carry a tune if her life depended on it. When she tried to imitate Barbara Streisand, it was like, ooh. Ah. <laughs> like a sex talk. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely didn't get my singing ability from her, but the clown ability, being on stage, being comfortable in front of thousands of people performing, absolutely, I believe that I got that gene from my mom and also looking a bit like her now. 
many times I'll be walking down the street and people will see me. They go, there's sex with Sue's daughter. So the name Sue is in their mind off the top. And then they'll, they'll say, hi, Sue. Often that's the first name that comes out of their mouth because they're making that identification. But no one wants to look like their mother. I remember when people said, oh, Wendy, you're starting to, I'm like, no. Yeah. No matter how beautiful they are. (laughs) No, I don't want to look like my mom. Exactly. And as soon as I had to start wearing magnifiers in order to see, I went, oh God, here we go. But anyway, yes, I definitely got my mom's theatrical side for sure. And I'm grateful for that because I've been able to, you know, happily make a career of it my whole life, really. Do you think she enjoyed, she seemed to, I mean, most of the, and I'm directing this question to Lisa as much as Jane, a lot of the interviews that you did with her, Sue is in this documentary. She's got her David Letterman cup in front of her and she was on Conan. She was on Letterman. Did she enjoy this celebrity? I also want to throw in as part of this question, was she treated like a clown in a way by these? Because it seemed sort of juvenile. They'd have her on the show and then they'd do stunts. Like with dildos on their faces and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm wondering what her take was from that. She loved to be set up. Absolutely. Like straight person, like Conan, especially deadpan face, mom, the clown. And she loved that because mom used humor to break the ice. So she broke the ice. Then people got comfortable talking about a subject that was uncomfortable to talk about. And so mom would strap a dildo, stretch a condom. Like she would pull things out of a pleasure chest that were like, oh God, that's so embarrassing. Look at the size of that thing. (laughs) (laughs) But she loved that because what it did was people were drawn to it because of it, but she had them in the palm of her hand. And then she was able to get down to the meat of the matter and say, you know, let's be safe about this. You can say no, you can. So then she could get into being the grandmotherly confidant that people really needed once she was past the little clown opening. Whether they they took advantage of that in terms of having her on so that they, they could give an audience a good laugh, mom, she didn't care. She really didn't care. She, she was nonplussed, but she'd walk out onto David Letterman's set and be smiling and waving. And she didn't realize how much people loved her and she didn't care why they loved her. And she was nonplussed by the whole celebrity thing. That was not her. She didn't care. She just didn't care. She still doesn't care. Lisa, I just want to talk to you about the, like the time that she did this. I mean, we talked about the secrecy and how nobody was talking about sex and that she, like, she had fun. But it was also, it was a terrifying time. It it wasn't just that people weren't talking about sex and then all of a sudden everybody was having to have sex because everyone's having sex. So let's have sex. And then HIV AIDS came out. It was a terrifying time. And I'm just wondering, like, how did you figure that she played in all of that? I'm assuming she helped because she was there to answer questions that not a lot of people were doing. But how, how do you see her dealing with issues? Yeah. Another challenging part of the film is you can't talk about sex or sexuality without the social political context. So because Sue had a career over decades and decades, the 80s and the 90s were two decades, Sue was on the radio and on TV during the HIV AIDS epidemic. So we had to dig into that, of course. And I wasn't alive at that time. So I think something that struck me about it was that people that were in progressive sex education were giving the information that no one else was, because my understanding is they weren't talking about it in school. Government officials were ignoring what was going on or spreading misinformation. Yeah, the gay plague. Yeah, but 
someone like Sue and other sex educators at the time, we have Dan Savage in the film, they were having to address it, but also they were aware that people were still going to have sex. So how can you be safe and have pleasurable, meaningful sex when you're in the middle of an HIV AIDS epidemic? And so bringing all of those pieces together and to explain, I think, to you know people who weren't there, who didn't experience the fear around it at the time or have lived through it was you know an important part of this film. The research that you've put into this project is stunning. And there are some, well, you mentioned Dan Savage. I love Dan Savage. And you had Nina Hartley, who's an adult entertainment activist. And, oh, Jane Houghton popped up. Margaret Cho. Russell Peters. (laughs) (laughs) The wild card. What are you suggesting? (laughs) I just know more about Russell Peters' sex life than I thought I ever would. Yeah, we, so basically trying to figure out who should be in the film. The primary, the first kind of check mark that we wanted was an authentic connection to Sue. So we really, you know, a Canadian of a certain age, probably they grew up with Sue. But that was the first thing that we wanted. We wanted Sue to have had an impact on them. And then after that, you know, I have issue with documentaries that bring in experts on the topics that are academics. No hate on the academics, but, you know, I always feel that especially with sex, we're all kind of experts, like maybe we're not doing it right. But we all most of us have experience having sex. So we have something to say about it. And so for this film, I wanted people that were from different spaces, disciplines, you know, Sue was a comedian in certain ways, we just talked about that she used humor to talk about something that was difficult. So bringing in Russell Peters, Margaret Cho, that was important that they use comedy to talk about difficult things while they had a connection to Sue. And I find there are some docs about sex out there that don't include adult entertainers, which to me is just, you know, it's, it, why? Why would you do that? Because that is how people learn about sex. So bringing in Nina Hartley, who is a prolific adult entertainer, and Brie Mills is an adult film director and producer. And both of them are doing really progressive things in those spaces. So Brie is directing, you know, queer films. She is showing imagery and sex that she never saw growing up. And then Nina Hartley, this didn't make it into the film, but I think it's incredible. She's making adult videos that are educational. So you're still watching sex in a way that people want to watch, you know, in porn. But then she is teaching people how to do specific sex acts. So Yeah, we really wanted to find people connected to Sue and then progressive in their spaces. Wendy, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Probably not. (laughs) Sex? Are you thinking about sex? I just think we've got to get these. We have to get these women on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we do. No, you're you're much more proficient business. No, what were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say. I don't want to say. No, I was wondering, Jane, whether... You know, your mom's 92 and you did all these interviews with her and her David Letterman cup and and like the mug is in every shot, which is kind of cool. She must have seen the doc. Does she like the doc? Yes, she does. I think for a while, you know, when I was filming her, she'd go, oh, for heaven's sake, turn that off, stop. She never wanted a big fuss made about her, ever, ever. So when people would run up to her, want her autograph and stuff, she'd like, oh my goodness. And of course she would just hug them and have her picture taken with them. And she never pushed people away. but. She was never big on wanting to be made a fuss over. So I don't know. I I just think she watched it with surprise 
and her eyes popped open and then she started to giggle. And then I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. We've, we've done it because I know my mom so well. And so then she just turned to me and she went, well done. So she was very proud. After a while, I think, oh, just turn it off. I'm too tired now. She, you know, she probably got bored of herself because she's been there. She's done it. It's her. So this is nothing, nothing is uh, new and surprising. We're not unearthing anything that she doesn't know about herself, but she loved it. And I think she's very happy to be kicking back now and enjoying the retired life. But to see a tribute made to her was, I think it kind of threw her at first. And then she warmed up and giggled. So Lisa, there's been lots of reaction. I mean, maybe I'm just, I'm interested. So maybe I'm just reading it out of proportion, but it seems like people really wanted to hear this story. What's been your sense? You've been on tour in spite of getting married a week ago. (laughs) Yeah, Lisa just got married. Wow. What a time. Yeah. I mean, everyone loves Sue. I think that's what it is, right? I was saying to someone at my wedding, I feel like I'm never going to be able to make a film that's this good, that is this layered with someone who is so beloved. And even if you don't know Sue, I think her humor and her openness around sex is an access point. So someone who's 19 years old, they're still going to want to hear from Sue. And yeah, it's been incredible. I think, you know, that's the power of Sue. Everyone has been waiting for this documentary. That was my my entry point was seeing comments on this video on Facebook of people saying, oh, I grew up with Sue. I loved her. She came to my school. I listened to her on the radio. So everyone wants to see the Sunday Night Sex Show, learn more from Sue, I think at this point, but then also learn a little bit more about who she was and is and what inspired her to do the work. Would she be seen as shocking now? Like she was kind of shocking. That was part of the appeal was like, somebody actually dared. She's got this huge dildo and she looks like an old lady. Like, would she be seen as shocking now? Or is that they're just all of Jane? Are there just all of these people everywhere now? Well, I don't think she could use the format that she did then, like the radio and the the TV phone-in show. I just don't think that would work anymore. I don't think people would be as shocked anymore. I think society is waking up to a lot of things that we we need to wake up. But I, I think in terms of sexual education, we still need sexual educators so that young kids can know that they don't have to have sex before they're ready. They don't have to try to do something just to be part of a clique or to prove themselves or to be accepted or to feel loved. I don't know if I can really answer that. What do you think? Something that I asked everyone in the film was, do you think Sue would be as popular now as she was then? And everyone said, yeah, she'd be a TikTok star. (laughs) Hands down, she would do so well on social media. And so something that has changed is the internet, social media, which I think comes with negatives and positives. But the positive is that we can access this information much more easily. And it is much more inclusive. So there are different voices in the sex education space. And I think that's really important. You know, our curriculum has been updated, but I do think we're still having issues in schools with sex ed. So now instead of just going to porn outside of your school, you're going to the internet to, you know, Google what you need to learn. And Another thing that surprised me while making the film was that people are still looking to sex educators, a single person to sift through all that information that's online and to filter it and to give them the information that they need. And something about Sue's show, both on radio and on TV, was there was that one-to-one connection. Someone was calling, they were asking a personal question, and she was answering it and tailoring the information. And you lose that online because you're you're Googling, you're having all of these results. 
instead of someone personally addressing you. And I think people still want that. I agree. It's, it's the love. You know, you felt safe with Sue. And I don't know anybody else is doing that right now on such a wide platform. I mean, there may be people out there, but the reach that she had. You know, in some ways, when I was watching the documentary and I felt so nostalgic because it captures so many moments from my own back. I mean, I worked at Q107. I met your mom. And I got to tell you, we were having a live show. And so we invited all these guests and your mother was one of them. And I was going through chemo. I had breast cancer and I wasn't wearing a wig or anything. And she, she said, come sit next to me. And I sat down and she took my hand and started asking me all about how's your treatment and just the kindness. She was really special, and I've never forgotten that. That's your mom. Jane, you look like you're quite moved by that. Well, I just, uh, I love hearing stories like that, that, you know, when you hear a story about how Sue, like, personally affected somebody else, not just out there in the big, wide, you know, entertainment world, but personally, mom would cross the street. I don't know what happened, but for many, many times, mom would be driving the car, and she would come upon an accident by the side of the road. I never, that never happens to me, but it happened to mom all the time. And because she was a nurse, she would keep rubber gloves in the glove compartment. Not kidding. She would pull over, put on her gloves and run to the scene of the accident and try to be a first responder before the ambulance or police came. And that was mom reaching out in, that was just her. So aside from all this wonderfulness about sex with Sue and all of that stuff, Bottom line was she was a loving person who cared and wanted people to know that, that we can love each other, take care of each other, and take care of yourself at the same time. And so I'm really glad that you shared that story because it shows another side of my mom that, you know, still surprises me. And that was beautiful to hear that. Thank you. Well, you give her my love. I doubt she'll remember who I am, but I never forgot that. And so anyway, that's that's my Sue story. It's not sexy at all. <laughs> you know, but, but I have to say, I love the safe with Sue. You just said safe with Sue. And I went, oh, that's a great name. Because everyone goes sex with Sue, but to hear safe with Sue, that's beautiful. I'm actually going to share that with her because I call her every morning and we chat every morning at about this time. So I'll be calling when we get off the air. And I, I want to share the safe with Sue with her. And she'll probably get a good giggle out of that. <laughs> all right. My pleasure. So Sex with Sue, the movie, the documentary is playing. I know I saw it on W. Where can people find it? They can find it on Stack TV, which is on Amazon Prime. So it's streaming on there for a while. For a while. Well, check it out. It's just a, it's a wonderful documentary. It's fascinating. And your mother's a lovely person. And thank you both so much for joining us and talking about this. It was so lovely to meet. I feel like I get to know people through this podcast and uh, it's not real life, but it's been wonderful to talk to both of you. And thank you so much. And uh, you need curlier hair to look like your mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. Thank you, girls, whatever. Thank you. Ladies, women. <laughs> Well, that was pretty cool. I wasn't sure that talking to the director and the daughter would be as good as talking to Sue, Sex with Sue, but they were they were great. I mean, Jane is obviously like loves her mother and the producer, Lisa, is so proud as she should be of the documentary. So it's it was cool. I understand Jane's emotion because Sue, these interviews that they did with Sue took place six or seven years ago. And I believe that Sue now is is 
how can I put this? She's obviously not as there as she was. <laughs> Something like I'm that. I'm on my way there myself. <laughs> but, uh, and I think that's heartbreaking. I mean, I know a lot of us know what it's like to have a parent who's still with us, who isn't as with us as they were. And obviously that's, that's hard on Jane because she loves her mother so much. But the legacy is there. Oh, it's wonderful to have all of those, those memories and to have a mom who loved you. And we both have complicated uh, relationships with our, with our moms, but I always knew that my mom loved me and, uh, and your mom loved you too. So anyway, I just, at the end, I really wanted to ask about Roe versus Wade, but you know, it's probably too heavy. There was just so much ground to cover. I mean, I wonder what. Well, you know how Sue would have felt about it. I mean, she was such a pioneer for birth control and for, uh, for abortion and you know that she'd be appalled by what is going on now. Yeah, well, as you wrote on Twitter or somewhere that, you know, well, everything's all fine. Me too took care of everything. All women are great. We're all we're all good. Thanks for <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the time. <laughs> we'll just go back to the kitchen now. <laughs> yeah, in our bare feet. But Sue was it's funny because she I guess no one wants to be accused of being, you know, overly political or overly radical about anything. And she always said, It's not that I'm pro abortion. I'm like I don't I don't believe in killing babies or whatever it is that I'm accused of. What I'm trying to do is prevent unwanted pregnancies, which was what she did with all the people with bad hair at Don Mills Collegiate. Did you see that video? Oh my god. And just think we thought they were hot, or at least I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. All right. Well, that's our sex show with Wendy and Mo. <laughs> there may be a gap there we might have to fill at some point, but uh, we'll talk about it. Korean dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> Man, dude, they're delicious. Okay, I'm going to go buy some. The Women of Ill Repute with Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womenofillrepute.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.